does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook here on the fan. Hope you're having a good day. Let's uh, dive in here. Our guy Brooks Cabina covers the Texans for the Houston Chronicle. I believe in transparency here, Brooks. And uh, I hope you don't hate me initially, which, you know, I have that effect on people from time to time. But I think C.J. Stroud's going to be a dud. I think he was surrounded by a who's who supporting cast at Ohio State. The Texans have nowhere near that initially. I think he's going to greatly struggle. What's the sense from Texans fans, at least in year one for C.J. Stroud? Well, you make an interesting point about what are his weapons going to be. I agree with you. The wide receiver core is questionable. Um, They tried to address that in later rounds by getting Tank Dell and Xavier Hutchinson from Houston and Iowa State. Obviously, those aren't guys that people were selecting in the first round. They got Robert Woods, an aging veteran who's coming off an ACL couple of bad years with the Titans uh, that reflected that. And John Mechie, we have no idea. They traded up in the second round last year, was coming off an ACL tear, and then battled leukemia last year. So, like, I totally agree. What are the people that he's going to be throwing to? Dalton Schultz, they signed. I have a lot of confidence in that pickup. I mean, he was he's, he's a security blanket that could really help out a rookie quarterback. But what I do know is that they've really shored up the offensive line in its best shape in the last 10 years for the Texans. You got both tackles figured out. You got the guard situation solidified. They drafted a center or two that'll battle with the incumbent. I think they'll be pretty solid there to at least give him protection. You got Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary, and you know at least your run game's going to be pretty solid. So um, I, the pick is here, like, yeah, all right, you can, do, you, can, you can delve into, oh, was he loaded with talent? But, you know, there are other supporting uh, there, there's supporting examples to that. You could also point out that Joe Burrows of the world who had, you know, they had Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and Terrace Marshall uh, when they were when Joe Burrow was playing at LSU, and I covered him there. So who, who are we to know, right? This, this, this next year, the year after, that's how we get to see what Stroud is. What we do know is those were the two elite quarterbacks that were available. Um, there was, uh, from all the people that I've talked to, there was definitely a gap in um, – a gap in uh, tiers between C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and then the rest. Um, The Texans needed a quarterback. You guys saw that last year with Davis Mills. They needed to address that position. They ended up getting their quarterback, and they also got their edge rusher by trading up. And and we can talk more into it, but the context of this team is they need to win now. Brooks, there were reports that the Titans had looked up to trading to three to get Stroud because the overall, at least national conversation was, okay, maybe the Texans aren't taking a quarterback. Did those rumblings of a division rival maybe trading up to three influence at all their decision to take Stroud, or was this pretty much their guy the entire process? Yeah, C.J. Stroud was, to my understanding, uh, someone that the Texans wanted throughout the draft process. I had no indication that they didn't like him, didn't like Bryce Young. It was just going to be dependent on who was available. I think what it ended up happening is, is like with driving interest, you then have an opportunity. And that came up on the draft day. I remember the reports about the Titans being interested coming up a day or two before. Um, you know, that gives you the opportunity to then take – C.J. Strata two, knowing that there was going to be trade value at three, they still had to give up a lot to do it. Uh, but 
this is a team that needed a quarterback, had evaluated their quarterbacks. Uh, me and my beat partner, Jonathan Alexander, at the Houston Chronicle, we had heard in the days leading up to the draft and the week leading up to the draft, really, that the Texans were looking more into Stroud than they had than, than, than as, mu- as much as they had throughout uh, the process, if not more. So uh, they were clearly interested in Stroud, um, and that was the opportunity they took. Brooks, when you look at uh, the the power play move to go up there and get Will Anderson Jr., there are a lot of national people that love that move. They say, hey, you go up, you're aggressive, you get two of the top five prospects in this draft. Me personally, I don't like it at all. I think that C.J. Stroud's got to be surrounded by a lot more, and they traded a boatload to get Will Anderson Jr. Who cares what I say? What are the fans in Houston saying about that move? Do you have anybody saying, I, I just don't, I don't like that move. you got to surround C.J. Stroud with more talent than go up there and get Will Anderson Jr. Well, of course, there, there are dissenters, and there's also those that are really excited. And I haven't done a poll of the 4 million people in Houston, but you know, <laughs> from what I can understand, from just uh, from my perspective and uh, you know, those who I've talked to and what's going on here, it's like you have, uh, you have to understand, here in Houston, the last couple of years, Opposing fan bases have outnumbered the Texans on several occasions. There are Texans fans who have gone into full-on dormancy uh, because of their apathy of a team that is just pretty dreadful on the field. I mean, in 21, it was a terrible product. In 22, it wasn't all that much better. Uh, So season ticket holders, which I think are the fans that hold the most clout in the city, uh, were already questioning whether they were going to renew. Well, in the time since hiring D'Amico Ryans, a former team captain, the perhaps the number one coaching candidate in this cycle. Uh, Season ticket sales went as high as they have been in the past couple of years. Now they drafted these two guys. They're continuing to go to double the amount of the percentage that they had after D'Amico was hired. The fan interest is back, and I think that secures a lot of what the McNair family, the ownership here, has wanted. Uh, That's the standard that they've kind of set from Nick Casario's end. After After firing two coaches in two years, hiring his third, Uh, the McNairs were more involved in the head coaching hiring process. I know they weren't as much involved in the drafting process, but knowing that you don't have a guarantee, Nick Casario didn't have a guarantee of being around next year to, one, be in the position to draft a Caleb Williams or a, a top offensive weapon to supply whatever you draft now, or that you would be even there, he would even be there to make that selection. You got to make your picks knowing what you have in front of you, which is the 23 season. But the pick Stroud have an opportunity to go and get Will Anderson, who D'Amico Ryan's really, really liked. And you know from what he's done with the 49ers, what he can do with edge rushers. We've seen across the league, there are many different examples with a guy like Anderson, what you can do. The Texans have been really bad on the defensive front. Uh, they, they gave up the most rushing yards in team history last year. Uh, they have. Opposing quarterbacks have plenty of time in the pocket. They look very comfortable. This is a guy that can change that pretty pretty quickly. So uh, those were the factors behind it, and I think people realize that. But, again, I mean, time will tell. These, these are rookies. Um, they could end up not performing to their standard. They could be as bad this year as they were last year. The, the win total may not be there. Those are all things that come through. But it's a sensible decision given the context that happened. Brooks Cabina with us, Texans beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. Brooks, was it a non-starter with that trade with the Cardinals for it to be the Cleveland Browns' first-round pick instead of the Texans? Uh, to my understanding, what it, this is is more like a rep, rep. So the Texans betting on themselves here. If you have a 
record, then obviously you're picking earlier to to retain the Cleveland pick. That's more contention on there. So, uh, I, from my understanding, that's that's the pick that they wanted to to surrender. Because in that regard, they're assuming that they're going to be able to be in control of how many wins they're going to have and not have to worry about the variables of another team. Correct. Okay. By I mean, by that same stance, and we've had these conversations, so I know it's somewhat silly, but. Every team in the South, save the Jaguars, is having the same discussion. Do you think it's going to be Stroud week one? Is there any debate about that in Houston? I would be extremely surprised if C.J. Stroud doesn't take the first snap for the reasons that we were talking about earlier about last year and the need for a quarterback. Davis Mills was given the best opportunity given the circumstances. I mean, he didn't have great weapons either, but they, had, they did more with less than they had in 21. Uh, Pep Hamilton was his quarterback coach the year before. He was his play caller that year. Um, and quite frankly, I mean, the, the quarterback scored six touchdowns for the other team, and Davis Mills <laughs> threw three interceptions. So, like, they, they, they knew they needed to go to, in a different direction at quarterback uh, in the offseason. Um, it was not a favorable free agency market. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo got a huge contract with the Raiders. I mean, he's 31, pushing 32. How long will he play into that contract? So the Texans outbid by the Raiders in a situation where they can bring a guy from the 49ers that understands Bobby Sloak, who was you know passing game coordinator in the 49ers. He's now first-time play caller for the Texans. Couldn't get Jimmy G, couldn't get others that were really going to be stable. So go into the quarterback market. So uh, Case Keenum, journeyman quarterback, that's who they have with Davis Mills. I expect they compete for a backup role. Uh, but, I mean, again, Bobby Slowick, first-time play caller, he's building an offense around the pieces he has, and you just got your biggest asset in C.J. Stroud. It would be very confusing um, if it were not Stroud from here on planning for him to take that first snap on week one. What do you think, Brooks, is just a reasonable expectation for C.J. Stroud in his rookie season, just individually and team-wise, how he and the team fare? You know, it's an interesting question because you can take that in a lot of different directions. What does it look like statistically? What does it look like win-wise? What does it look like intangibly whenever you're talking about how he represents himself with his players and whatnot? Uh, what I would say to like reasonably expect for him is, one, how is he adapting into uh, the pro-style system that the 49ers had run with Bobby Sloak? It's going to be a lot different than what he did at Ohio State. Um, I mean, even the 49ers, they don't go under center all that much, but they did. Does he look comfortable? Is he making on-time throws? What I would say is to expect, okay, so C.J. Stroud in college, his main asset was his accuracy. I mean, is that consistent in his first year in the NFL? Is he turning the ball over? He is, and that's a regression and not what you would want to expect. Is he on time with his throws? Does he look comfortable? Is he putting the Texans in position to push to move the ball downfield? The last couple of years, they ranked last in the NFL in average yards per drive. Are they improving in that, and is that because of C.J.? Um, those would be best baseline expectations. Are they improving moving the ball? Is he still accurate? Is he improving the touchdown-interception ratio that the Texans have had the last couple of years? I wouldn't say that's necessarily win-to-loss total base, but it would impact that because there's still a lot of needs the Texans have. But those are the things within C.J. Stroud's control, and uh, those would be the things that I would look for in him. In that same vein from the rookie class, when you look at Tank Dell, what are expectations going to be out of the wide receiver from Houston in year one? So, um, for him... 
he can do two things for the Texans. He's obviously a guy that projects on the inside for the Texans. He also projects as a return specialist for them. So specific to the offense, this is a team that's rotated slot positions more than any other position. I can go into the long lineage that has been the Houston slot receiver, but uh, he's got quickness more than he does, you know, full end zone to end zone speed, which was showcased in his 40 time. But the Texans have lacked a lot of defensive attention on the inside that can open up for guys like they just signed in Robert Woods. Brandon Cooks last year had a down year, and a lot of that had to do with the organization of the offense with wide receivers and how they interacted with each other, how they were able to get open downfield. Tank Dell can do that. He may not have an impact. as I mean, I expect him to have an impact as a pass catcher, but his influence could be opening up for guys like Robert Woods, who going into the later parts of their career need a little more help getting separation and open, open, open spaces for him. So Tank Dell, I think, can be that influence. He's quick. I like him over the middle. He can he can do a lot of things in many of the different zones. Um, and, and for John Mechie as well, a guy who also has inside-outside versatility, they can play off of each other. I think Dell's an interesting piece there. C.J. Stroud recommended the Texans pick him when I, as soon as they got to him. I don't know if it's the Texans listening to him or them agreeing with him, yeah. uh, but there's already a connection between the quarterback and that wide receiver, which is interesting. So uh, Dell is – does fit a need for the Texans in the wide receiver group. Will he live up to that? We'll see. Obviously a mid to late round pick uh, that others cross whatever draft analyst you want to take a look at may have ranked a little bit higher, some a little bit around right where that is. Uh, but Dell can fulfill what the Texans haven't really had the last couple of years. Hey, Brooks, good stuff, man. Good talking some ball with you today. Hope you have a good rest of the day. Thank you, Brooks. Awesome. Anytime, guys. Thank you. There he is. Brooks Cabina covers the Texans for the Houston Chronicle. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Want to welcome in Kevin Bowen. You hear him in the mornings on The Fan. Kevin and Query. You know, I'm under the weather here, KB, as you probably could tell in about 2.5 seconds. What is your go-to as a radio host to make yourself sound better when you're sick? Boy, that, that's a great question. I've, um, I've dabbled with the tea and honey. Mm. Uh, I, I, I've been told if you put a, um, a shot or two of a dark liquor, that is mm. probably the best way to go. Um, I've been told to avoid caffeine. But yeah, for the most part, I, I, maybe honey and like tea is a. Uh, I think it's more of a mental game. I think I sound better than I really am. But after I drink <laughs> some of it, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm confident. But then you know, my voice cracks 20 minutes into the show, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> no, I like that. Now, uh, what played just before you came on? You were previewing tomorrow's show, and you were talking about having some derby picks. How big of a dirty a, a derby better are you, KB? How much do you get down with that? Yeah, it, it's certainly an annual uh, annual event to to dabble on. Um, obviously, last year, not a whole lot of winners with that upset coming down the stretch with Rich Strike. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a sucker for horse names, so that that always kind of gets me. Um, the Practical Move, Angel of Empire are two names that kind of stand out. I don't like to bet the favorite. It sounds like Forte. At 3-1 to one is the way to go. Undefeated, uh, Todd Pletcher, I think, is a name that, that um, you know, is one of the more popular trainers out there. I, I just miss Baffert. I feel like Baffert is yeah, Belichick. Yeah, totally. And, and the sport is better when you have people that 
are just controversial. So I'm just disappointed we don't get to see his hair. <laughs> I missed that too. I, I completely missed that. I think that's a tremendous point by you. I want to bet. So I used to work in the Saratoga area. And some people consider that to be like the unofficial fourth leg of the Triple Crown, if you will. And so we would broadcast there on Fridays, KB, and I didn't know what I was doing. I'm just like blindly betting. And I'll never forget, my horse was nowhere to be found. I'm standing at the start-finish line, and this bolt of lightning, like the nine horse or whatever it was, and uh, John Velasquez was the jockey. And this drunk guy hit on it. He's like, Johnny! Johnny! And so we repeated that uh, for a a long, long time. But uh, I always think of my guy, Johnny V, right there. Yeah, you know, last year we had an indie tie with uh, Mo Donegal, um, part ownership from a great Eastside family named named the Kennys, and and Donegal was a great closer. Um, and if you remember correctly, uh, on last year's race, I don't think the name Rich Strike was mentioned more than maybe one time the entire race. And then all of a sudden, you get to be you know down the stretch they come, and out of nowhere comes this ninety to one long shot. So I do feel like we'll, we'll get money kind of spread out just based off of how last year went. Uh, but uh, hopefully we get, it, it looks like we're going to get great weather. And hopefully it's a, uh, it's a great race. Yeah, my niece hit the exacta last year. Was very Ooh, jealous. Wow. Pay, paid like four grand. So it was <laughs> wow. very, uh, it was, it was, it was a very uh, envious but celebratory time uh, in the in the cookhouse in our little little derby shebang. So shout out to to Shannon Loschke for uh, for knocking that one down. Gosh, I can only imagine what Shannon's derby party is going to look like tomorrow. <laughs> You're right. I need her to need to push her to provide some extra Woodford for us. <laughs> yeah, come on now, Uncle Jimmy needs a little something. Here. <laughs> KB, Kevin Bowen joining us here on the fan. You know, KB, this goes back a couple of days ago, but Chris Ballard, Colts GM, he was talking about some of the negative reports about some of the quarterbacks in this draft class. And he said it's a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of BS. He didn't think they should have to deal with that. I'm just curious what your takeaway was from Ballard's comments about that. Well, he, he was fired up about that. Um, yeah, I was actually texting him Thursday night about something totally different, and he just wanted to go down that path. So he clearly, it was something on his mind. I think you know him and C.J. Stroud had a pretty close relationship, I think, through this draft process. Um, I think he was disappointed that that stuff got leaked. Um, now, me personally, uh, I, I guess the leakage aspect of it is what Ballard really had an issue with. But let's not think for one second these NFL scouts don't absolutely just undress these players behind closed doors. I know that sounds really bad, but I mean that obviously from a scouting standpoint, and they, with a fine-tooth comb, go through everything and pick them apart. And you know, certainly Ballard is a huge believer, and that, that stays behind closed doors and you know he, he I, i'm guessing here but maybe he felt like that was you know those are teams that that leaked that info and hoping that cj stroud would drop and, and that's just not a game that he wants to play and mm-hmm. again as much as ballard and i thought the colts would be super secretive through this process which they were to be fair um again i, I kind of got a hunch it'd be anthony richardson late in this process and you just go back a couple of fridays ago when Ballard did have that pre-draft presser. And at that time, six days before the draft, everything nationally was Will Levis. Um, and then all of a sudden, Ballard kind of went out of his way in that presser to say, right now everybody you know has this assumption that we're going to take one guy, blah, 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 and that's just not true. And I remember thinking after he finished that answer, like, he's talking about Will Levis. And now the question is, do I believe that or do I think it's a smokescreen? And now looking back on it six days later, once the draft happened, clearly it was a smokescreen.
or clearly he was telling the truth, I should say, and that it was not Will Levis that you know the Colts were zeroed in on per se. You can say what you want about the man, but he's great at dancing. I could I could have placed a, a good bet there had I believed that he was telling the truth. I, I wasn't sure. I'm right there with you. I thought it was a potential smokescreen move. Kevin Bowen, nice enough to join us of Kevin and Query, and of course, Colts Insider for 1075thefan.com. Kev, over under the month of December before Marvin Harrison Jr.'s name is publicly out of Jim Irsay's mouth during his uh, meet and greets with the press. <laughs> oh, oh, under, under, man. Uh, yeah, is he doing a bye week presser? Whatever the bye week is. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be wild to watch how this year unfolds. And, and really, you know, obviously the Colts matter in that realm. But, like, how about Arizona? I mean, I don't think anybody thinks Arizona's going to be good this year. Kyler Murray's going to come back win from the ACL. So, Kyler Murray's out for X amount of games. They also have Houston's pick. So if you know if you're looking at power rankings right now in the NFL, probably 31 and 32, if not very close to that, will be Houston and Arizona in some order. So we could be looking at Arizona having the first and second overall picks yep. from next April. And at that point, I get Kyler Murray's contract is through the roof, but how do you not just draft Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison and say, all right, here we go? <laughs> you know, because they do have a new GM this year, they do have a new head coach this year as well. Um, they drafted Paris Johnson, so they do have kind of that Tariq Glenn type of uh, guy in, in place. At least that's their hope, you know, similar to when the Colts drafted Manning a couple years after Tariq Glenn. So uh, I, I will be very, very curious to see which teams end up that high uh, because obviously if you are the Colts or you are the Texans, and again, the Texans don't have the first-round pick, but, you know, let's say Will Levis has a decent rookie year, but for some reason Tennessee's record isn't very good. They're up that high. Um you know, it's going to be really – does Carolina have like a 4-13 and year, but still Bryce Young looks like the guy? You know, how that unfolds with these quarterback prospects, do you see any teams fail on their young QB so early in that rookie contract? Um, yeah, inject 2024 mock drafts into my veins right now. <laughs> right, no doubt. Uh, KB, we were talking about at the beginning of the show, if you look at the divisions in the NFL and just from the the starting quarterback perspective for only 2023 we looked at the best QB division top to bottom the worst QB division top to bottom if we hone in on the worst a lot of people would say it comes down to the AFC South and the NFC South if you're looking at those two divisions top to bottom with three out of four rookies in the AFC South probably getting a decent amount of snaps how would you break the tie, or what argument would you make between the AFC or NFC South for having the worst quarterback situation top to bottom this year? Yeah, I'm going to give the AFC South the tiebreaker because at least it would be more entertaining. I mean, I, I've watched Derek Carr play quarterback for a decade. I'm good, you know. <laughs> he, he, he's a nice player, but, like, I've been there, done that. I've watched Baker Mayfield play play quarterback there. There are moments, but... I'm good. You know, certainly I want to see Bryce Young. And, you know, there is some curiosity with the weapons that Desmond Ritter has. I mean, B. John Robinson, Kyle Pitts, and Drake London, that's, that's quite the trio of a running back wideout and tight end. But I've made this, and I don't know, it's probably a poor joke, but, you know, whenever the NCAA tournament rolls around each year, I'm like, oh, God, i got to find where True TV is in the TV guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've always thought the AFC South should be the True TV division. Like, <laughs> they should just put all their games on True TV, no longer do I think that. They are now an entertaining, a quarterback-driven uh, product. I don't know how for how long, but you don't have, you know, the, the Sage Rosenfelds of the world in Houston. You don't have the uh, Blaine Gabberts in the world in Jacksonville. 
And at some point, it seems like Tennessee will bail on Ryan Tannehill and go to Will Levis. And obviously here in Indianapolis, the aging carousel quarterbacks that they've had, that is over, or you would think will be over at some point. Uh, So I, I do, in all seriousness, think it is at least an entertaining division and one where Jacksonville's got a 20, 30 meter head start uh, in a hundred meter dash. And now Houston and Tennessee and Indy are kind of all pulling that line at the same time. And just watching how all of that unfolds will be, I think really fascinating. And certainly with Indy and Tennessee, you have that dynamic to where the Colts got Anthony Richardson. It sounded like Tennessee had interest in Richardson, but Tennessee has gone at it and said, all right, you know, we'll get arguably the best offensive lineman in the draft and Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. And then they double back and, of course, get Levis. So, you know, just watching kind of those two franchises and, and how they react to it, the debate of, you know, should the Colts have traded above Houston to potentially try and get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, you know, all of those storylines uh, will at least provide a division that has been absolutely awful and ugly to watch, uh, provide it with some entertainment. KB, we talked to Mike Chappell earlier in the week, and as you would expect from Chappell when, when he's done this as long as he has, the longest tenured riders cover the teams they moved here from Baltimore, it, rookie minicamp, it, it's old hat, right? I mean, it, wh- how much are you really going to gather from there? But but he did acknowledge there is a, a sense of uniqueness to this for the first time in a handful of years because of the fact that Anthony Richardson is the prized jewel of this class for you tomorrow what are you looking out for out there rookie minicamp yeah that's a really good question i i don't know how much of it will be this weekend which i guess is kind of a cop-out answer you know i'm curious just what he looks like fundamentally Um, not that i'm like you know out there with a fine-tooth comb looking at his fundamentals but clearly he's made some changes since the end of that season for, for florida we had his qb coach on will hewlett earlier this week I thought Hewlett was very honest. You know, typically, or I should say at times, when you have those interviews, I was a little nervous about even suggesting the idea to Mark to to get him on because I thought to myself, boy, that can just be PR spin, you know, for, for, for 20 minutes. I thought he was pretty honest in describing some of the changes that were needed and, and they have gone through with Anthony Richardson. So my question, I guess, becomes, do those changes look robotic? You know, when Richardson is at his best, it's backyard football. And it's poise and it's him kind of just flashing the big arm. And obviously it's him moving out of the pocket. And you're not going to get him. You know, he's still going to be in a red jersey. So you're not going to get kind of a true running dynamic until you you throw him into the fire preseason or regular season. But I just think fundamentally, again, how robotic does it look? Um, You know, a lot of those zero to kind of nine-yard throws is where he had his most issue at Florida. So I think just watching kind of that part of the game for him. And I think at times – we do a little bit overlook the the spring. Yes, you don't put on full pads, and it still is early in an installation period. But once Richardson gets through this week, he will have 13 11-on-11 practices between now and mid-June. That's a big number. I mean, training camp is like 16 practices. I mean, that's almost training camp-like size. Now, again, you aren't wearing full pads. Um, you aren't necessarily ramping it up for the regular season. You don't have the joint practices. So it's not, I think, as big of a tell as training camp will be. But it's a lot of practices. And so, you know, does at any point, does Shane Steichen, you know, say, all right, you know, we're now eight OTAs in. Let's give Anthony a couple series with the starters. You know, those I think are going to be some of the things to to really watch for. KB, good stuff, man. I wish you a happy and healthy weekend and a profitable weekend as well with the Derby. So where are we going Derby-wise? 
I don't know, man. I, I haven't checked into it as closely as Jay Cook might have. I just know my limitations, KB. I suck at betting horses, so I don't bet horses that often, you know? Uh, I mean, show me the person that's good at betting humans or, or horses, and I will, you know, they, they have to be lying to you. Jimmy, where are we going? Are we going Forte, or can we go with an underdog? I think you can go with an underdog. I do also like to, as a, as a safety net, this is basically the equivalent of, of hedging, is include the favorite in a couple exotics, right? So hoping that maybe you get like a 20 to 1 or a 30 to 1 up there. Um, I don't have my winner yet, but I will be playing something with confidence game, the five horse at, at 20 to 1. All right. Send me your niece's number. We'll talk. <laughs> That's right. I will. <laughs> we'll I'll see, do that. See you, KB. See you, guys. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Mornings on the fan, Kevin and Query.